Welcome to the Respect Food Rolls podcast, a limited run series in which I detail my take on some of the big issues on food, eating, health, and weight that are floating around today, both in the blogosphere and more importantly, in the YouTubeosphere. I try to take a common sense approach that's grounded in solid research and based a lot on my own observations. I hope you'll come back every week during the run of this show, which at this point is projected to be about 12 episodes, but we'll see how long-winded I get. In the meantime, take a listen. Welcome to episode three of the Respect Food Rolls podcast. Today, for this week's episode, I'm doing something a little different from what I've done the previous two episodes. In those, I was giving a fair amount of general foundational information. And I thought for this third episode, I was going to start out with an imaginary case study, a hypothetical case study to, again, lay somewhat of a foundation here for what we're going to be talking about as we launch into looking at what works and what doesn't work about how we eat healthfully and wisely, how we keep our eating under control, how we control weight, how we resist cravings, all that kind of thing. So I'm going to give you a story. I want to be very clear, this is not based on anybody. This is not one of those, this story was based somewhat on real characters, or this is a work of fiction, but some characters may be real, or none of that. I know no one named the character's name. I know of no one who's in her situation in particular at all. But as I thought about what I wanted to do with this episode, I was reminded of a conversation I had a number of years ago. I was working actually in the church nursery on a Sunday morning, and I was talking to the other woman who was in the baby room with me, and I said something about, oh, I just don't believe in the efficacy of all of these fad diets. And we were in particular... I guess, kind of gossiping just a little bit about someone we both knew who had gone on a fairly extreme restricted diet. And the woman said to me, but you know, so-and-so does say that since she went on this diet, she feels better. Well, I think a baby started squalling at that point or something, but I've never forgotten that little exchange. Why is that true? I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast episode has either had someone say that to you or you felt that way yourself. Well, sure, there are people who say this diet is just a fad, but when I went on it, I felt better. Why is that? And so we're going to examine this story and then at the end of the story, we're going to look at some answers to those questions. So I want to introduce you to Gladys. I like that name. Ever since I saw an old movie that had a character named Gladys Glover. Also, 
hardly anybody these days is named Gladys, so I'm not in any danger of referring to someone who might be listening to this podcast. Okay, so Gladys is 45 years old. She's been married for 20 years to Ken, and she has three children. She has a daughter who's 12, going into middle school, that is sixth grade. She has a son who's almost 16, who's going to be a junior this year. And then she has a 17-year-old daughter who's going to be a senior in high school this year. And Ken has an excellent job. He is a CPA and he works for a large accounting firm. He not only makes an excellent salary and has great benefits, but he's in line for a fairly significant promotion this year at which point he will get probably at least a 25% and perhaps even more of a salary raise. Gladys herself is very much involved in her children's school activities and she says that she is so grateful that she's able to do that. She does have a part-time job though. She works as a paralegal at a, a large law firm And they really like Gladys. They like her work. She's very quick. She's very accurate. She has actually gotten involved in drafting some of the legal documents. They've offered to make her full-time several times. They promised her a nice salary and a nice benefits package, but she's always said, no, I have children at home right now, and I want to be flexible and be able to be the timer for my daughter's field hockey team or track and field team or whatever those things are. I want to be available for all these other things. I do still go on field trips for my youngest daughter. I just, I want to be around. That will be time enough for me to start working full time. So everything looks great, right? They live in a nice home in a a secure, peaceful suburb, and the kids' schools are great. So what is the problem? Obviously, there must be some problem or I wouldn't be presenting this as a case study. Well, while on the surface everything looks just great, in reality, Gladys's life, just like everybody else's life, has its complications. So first of all, the children. The 12-year-old daughter who's going into middle school is showing every evidence of becoming what is often called a mean girl. And she has a little cadre of friends and they make or break the popularity of the other girls in the class. They are going to a new school this fall because it'll be middle school, not grade school. And so Gladys is hoping that once she's in a newer, bigger school, She's not going to have the same sway, but still it worries her. Her lovely 12-year-old daughter seems to lack empathy. She doesn't seem to understand that when she mounts her little campaigns of spite against a classmate who's offended her, that she is being cruel and she is hurting people's feelings. Gladys has talked to her. Gladys has threatened to go to the parents of the girls who've been cruelly treated Nothing seems to make much difference. Ken says, leave it alone. Let's go on to the son. He's almost 16. He's going to be a junior in high school this year. 
and she's very concerned about him. Over the past few months, second semester of his sophomore year in high school, he seems to have just changed. His grades, which normally have been fine, A's and B's have plummeted to C's and D's. He's lost interest in extracurricular activity. He did not try out for the basketball team this year. He spends a lot of time in his room listening to ear-splitting music. She's worried. And she has done a little discreet snooping in his room. Some people listening to this might disagree with Gladys's actions here. I'm not so sure that I do. But anyway, as far as she can tell, there's no drug paraphernalia, nothing like that in that room. She can't smell anything. He doesn't really go out much, so she doesn't know how he could be getting together with bad character. Again, Ken says, leave him alone. Gladys remembers reading many biographies, sometimes of celebrities, who will say, oh yes, when I was 15, 16, 17, I didn't want to come out of my room. My parents very wisely left me alone, and I came out of it. But of course, she's heard other stories of parents who didn't intervene and whose children really needed it. She feels that it's very hard to tell as everyone listening to this would say, would agree, and she doesn't really know what to do. Ken is not being any help at all. Her lovely, charming, delightful, talented, accomplished 17-year-old daughter has turned into kind of a monster. Not a bad monster, but a weeping, whiny monster. This girl who has worked enormously hard, especially over her three years of high school, made A's, gotten into AP classes, gone on all kinds of, of extracurricular activities, has spent her summers doing varied and interesting things, has just for some reason decided that if she does not get into one of the top ranked, especially and particularly Ivy League schools, her life is over. Harvard, Yale, or Princeton, or something of that rank. And Gladys doesn't know where she got this idea. Her friends are not really obsessed with this, but somehow she's decided this is it. Gladys has tried to explain to her, look, you make excellent grades and you have a lot of extracurricular activities, but your chances of getting into one of those colleges is very, very small. Plus, even if you do get in, guess what? You have to pay for it. We are not a financially needy family, so we would not be able to apply for financial aid, and so you would need to apply for scholarships again. Your chances of getting anything substantial are pretty small. The competition is just too fierce. Why do you need to stress out so much when studies have shown that where you go to college really has very little to do with your success in life? And at this stage in the conversation, the daughter tends to burst into tears and run out of the room and slam her bedroom door behind her. So Gladys just is at her wit's end about that daughter. Is Ken being any help with this? No, he's not. 
And lest you think that Ken is a bad guy, he's kind of uninvolved because he's having his own drama. And his drama is not that he's doing badly at work. It's not that his co-workers don't like him or that he's facing a project that he doesn't know how to do. Ken's problem is that he is very, very good at a job that he's become very, very bored with. He's 45, same age as Gladys. And over the past year, he has started saying, I do not want to do this for another 20 years until I'm 65 years old and I can retire. I don't want to do this. I'm tired of it. I'm bored with it. I want to start my own business. In particular, I want to start a restaurant. I've always wanted to do that, but I took the sensible route and now I'm 45 years old and I don't want to waste any more time. Gladys knows, as well as anybody else, what the failure rates are for small businesses and especially for restaurants. They have had, again, many fraught conversations. So when she's not having fraught conversations with her two daughters or not having conversations with her son, she's having conversations with her husband. She's tried to chart a middle course here. She's saying, look, in six years, all three kids will have graduated from high school. And at that point, I'm willing to go full time and you can start your restaurant. At which her husband says, if I have to stay at that desk, even for another six years, I just don't know what I'll do. And he says to her with some justification, and this is not a, this is not a subject or a, um, a principle that's often expressed, but as I thought about Gladys and her situation, I, I really gained a lot of uh, sympathy for Ken, hypothetical as he may be, because he says to her, look, we decided to have kids. That was a joint decision. Great. And then you said, I want to be able to stay home. And I said, okay. And we had three kids and you stayed home pretty much through the oldest daughter's grade school years. And then you said, okay, well, I think I could handle a part-time job. And that's when you got that job at the, as a paralegal at the law firm. Great. You chose. It was your decision to get a part-time job. And then for these years since then, this has been your choice. You get to have a part-time job so that you can do the things that you choose to do to be involved in their schools. But meanwhile, I don't have any choice. I have to go to work every day and work a regular full-time job. And it just doesn't seem fair to me that you get to make all the choices and I don't. Now, you could poke some holes in what Ken is saying, but this is the way he feels. And he has said, they are going to offer me that big promotion at the end of the year. I know that. I know what the scuttlebutt is. And I am not going to accept that promotion because I don't think it's right for me to accept this big promotion and this big raise in pay when I have no intention of staying. And so you have until the end of the year to figure out what you're going to do because I am quitting at the end of the year. 
Oh, my word, not the end of the school year, the end of the calendar year, in the middle of the school year. So Gladys is not a happy camper many days. She's worried, worried, worried about every member of her immediate family. So what is she doing to express that worry? Well, number one, she is lying in bed awake at night at two o'clock in the morning, unable to turn her mind off, thoughts churning. And of course, when she gets up in the morning, she's exhausted. The other thing that's happening is that she's put on about 20 pounds over the past, we'll say eight to 10 months. Ever since Ken started talking like this, that's when it started. Because my friends, Gladys is what I call a stress eater. There are two kinds of people in the world as they react to stress and express that stress reaction in how they eat. There are stress non-eaters and there are stress eaters. So I'm a stress non-eater. In other words, if my stomach is tied up in knots, you can tell from my wording how I feel about it, I I don't eat. If I'm involved in one of my great big food events, for instance, I do very little eating because the last thing in the world I want when I'm under the gun is to eat. But many people, and I don't know that there have been any scientific studies here, but many people are stress eaters. Stress makes them hungry. They want to chomp on something. And the the things that they want to chomp on are not carrot sticks. So Gladys has been eating a lot of snacks from the vending machine. Gladys has been helping herself way too much to a handful of M&Ms from that coworker's desk where the bowl of M&Ms is never empty. Uh, And I've expressed my opinion about that sort of thing in an earlier podcast. So Gladys has gained this 20 pounds. Her clothes don't fit well. She's embarrassed. She refuses to buy new clothes. And she's dragging through the day because she can't sleep. Most human beings, and Gladys is a human being, remember, even if she doesn't really exist, Most human beings are very bad at figuring out causation. What is the problem and then what is the cause of that problem? We tend to fixate on one or the other. We tend to not draw firm connections. So Gladys realizes that she's stressed out about all this drama going on in her family, but she doesn't quite draw the line to the fatigue and the weight gain and say, I'm under stress and that's why these other problems are occurring. No, she thinks the way many of us think, and notice I say us, she thinks of the problems, the end results in isolation. So what she thinks is, well, I have all these issues going on with my family. If I could at least feel more energetic And if I could at least lose this 20 pounds, then I would be able to deal with my family situation better. Notice how she's reasoning. She's reasoning backwards. She's reasoning. She's saying that the problems exist in isolation. She's not drawing the line back to the causes. So she thinks, well, I know 
Maybe the problem is that I have low thyroid. She does a little bit of internet diving and she realizes, yes, low thyroid can cause fatigue and weight gain. And my mother had low thyroid. I, I believe her mother died rather young, so she can't talk to her mom, but she thinks her mom was on some kind of thyroid supplement. So she thinks, okay, I'm going to go in and see my GP or perhaps her OBGYN because many women use the OBGYN kind of as a family practitioner. And she thinks I'll get a thyroid test. Plus, those of you who've been paying attention to the ages that I'm using will be also saying, hmm, Gladys is also starting into what is often called pre or perimenopause. So there's some issues at work there also, but we're not going to worry about that right now. So she goes in and she sees her doctor, whatever brand of general conventional doctor, somebody she's been seeing for a number of years. She likes him or her. And she goes in and she says, I'm so tired all the time and I've gained 20 pounds. What can you do for me? Now, if you think about it, how, how much time did I just spend telling you on this podcast episode about what is going on in Gladys's life? And that's just to describe the problems. That's not to solve them. That's not to give any kind of counsel about them. And so how much time do we have? I, right now, I've gone about a little over 20 minutes. Is Gladys going to be able to use 20 minutes to tell her GP about what I've just told you? No, of course not. For one thing, Gladys doesn't think that these issues with her family are the problem. She thinks that her problems are caused by something else, some isolated medical condition. And let's face it, most doctors who have regular health insurance are under the gun to see a certain number of patients per hour. I do not mean that as bad-mouthing conventional Western medicine. Believe me, conventional Western medicine has saved, well, I won't go into details here, but I would say it at least saved my son's life. Uh, maybe I'll tell that story someday on another podcast episode. I don't know. But uh, my respect for Western medicine is very high. But let's face it, our healthcare system as it stands right now does not encourage any kind of in-depth analysis of what is actually causing certain problems. So her doctor doesn't have a clue because there's no time for him to really delve into Gladys's life. So he says, well, okay, uh, we can certainly take a blood sample and test your thyroid. Uh, spoiler alert, her thyroid levels are going to be just fine. A little low perhaps, but nothing that would cause what she's seeing in her life. And he says, I'll, I'll give you a prescription for Ambien. That's a pretty harmless drug and you can use that when you can't sleep. And that's about it, folks, for an investment of a good chunk of her morning to go in and sit in the waiting room and see the doctor. And of course, she has to pay a copay and all this kind of thing. In the end, all she really gets out of it is a prescription for sleeping pills, which can be very, very helpful 
but is not anywhere near the solution to her problem. And the doctor doesn't really have anything particularly helpful about the weight gain. Just watch what you eat, he says. Oh, thanks. So Gladys is very frustrated. The next week she has lunch with a friend and she's telling her friend all about how horrible she feels and how awful her clothes fit. And her friend says, well, Gladys, I know you're not a real fan of alternative medicine, but let me tell you that I've just recently started going to a wellness counselor. And I'm telling you, she has changed my life. I feel better than I have for at least a decade. And my skin has cleared up and I've lost some weight. I just, I can't recommend this, this woman to you enough. Why don't you go in and see her? You don't have anything to lose except, well, you are going to have to pay out of pocket because uh, she doesn't take insurance, of course. She's not a regular medical doctor. She's kind of in the alternative medicine uh, mainstream or, or side stream or whatever you want to call it. So you will have to pay up front. She charges $100 an hour, but your first consultation is free. So why don't you go in and, and just talk to her? I'm going to stop here for just a second. I could put this at the end of the story, but I'm going to put it in here. Terms such as wellness counselor, counselor, therapist, nutritionist, naturopath, those terms have no legal meaning, at least not in the state of Colorado. They have no legal meaning, they have no legal requirements. And then there are other alternative medicine practices such as homeopathy, which there usually is some kind of certificate or acupuncture. And certainly a chiropractor does have regular training, but a chiropractor is not really trained to sell all the supplements that he or she sells. So when you go to one of these people, you are going to someone who may or may not know anything about what he or she is actually talking about. Okay, back to Gladys. She decides, well, Emily's right. What do I have to lose? I'm not even going to be charged for the first hour. So I'll go in and talk to her. So she makes an appointment. She gets an entire hour of this wellness counselor's time. And she goes in and she just pours her heart out. And the relief is tremendous because Gladys hasn't really been talking too much about all of these issues. Most of her friends have much larger issues going on in their lives and she just has not been talking about this. Plus she's kind of embarrassed about the 12 year old and the 15 year old. And she doesn't really know how to explain what the problem is with the 17 year old. And she's sure not going to go around and talk about Ken's desire to start Ken's Italian restaurant. So she's kind of been bottling it all up. And now the relief is tremendous. The woman sits there, she nods, she makes notes on a pad of paper. And when the, when the time is up, she says to Gladys the magic words. You want to know what they are? I think I know what the problem is. 
and how we can solve it. So what does this wellness counselor do? Well, she does what she does with everybody. She puts Gladys on a very restrictive diet. No gluten, no sugar, no, what else? No processed food. Of course, if you're not eating sugar, you don't have any processed food. Perhaps she's even like a nutritionist who a friend of mine went to once who told her, you can't even eat carrots because carrots are too high in sugar. But she's given a list of foods she should avoid. But she says, we do want to tailor the diet specifically to you. This is a general set of guidelines that I find works very well for everybody I see. But I want to tailor it. So we do need to take a blood test. Now, the wellness counselor says, the blood test is not free. It's $80. I, I think I'm probably lowballing this and we'll give you the results at your next appointment. So what do you think happens? Gladys has been put on a needlessly restrictive diet. There are all sorts of things she cannot eat anymore. Most of these diets, most people are told when they go to a practitioner such as this one, wheat, dairy, corn, soy. Those four things are out of your life. And that really cuts a lot out. And you have to start making a lot of your own food. You cannot buy prepared food because you just don't know what's in them. And if we want to be really restrictive, we can also say that you can only use, we'll say, butter, olive oil, and coconut oil. I named those three things because those are the three fats I use the most. But boy, if I had to go into a restaurant and find out what kind of oil they used to fry the, um, I don't know, chicken tenders or whatever, I would be in big fat trouble. So Gladys goes home with her list of restricted foods and she feels as if this enormous pressure valve has been released. Why? Because somebody listened to her. Somebody listened. I'm reminded of a story my husband told me once that he read about James Dobson, the founder of Focus on the Family. And James Dobson started out his career as a psychologist, a, a, a counselor, but somebody with some real credentials. And he was very young and he was trying to get patients. And um, so he had this woman who would come in and talk to him every week. I think she was one of his few patients that he was seeing at the very beginning of his career. And she'd talk and most of the time, or a great deal of the time, she would cry. And then she would get up at the end of their time and she'd say, oh, Dr. Dobson, I feel so much better. You're such a good psychologist. And he'd think, but I said hardly anything. Well, the sad thing was for this woman, all she really wanted was a listening ear, something we used to have in greater supply than we have nowadays. So anyway, Gladys plunges in. She's so desperate that she plunges in. She buys into this diet. 
Now, what do you think is going to start happening here? Well, for one thing, her daughter, her 17-year-old daughter, who's always been kind of a little obsessed with her own eating, looks at her mom with this new jazzy, cool diet, and she says, wow, I'm in. I want to be involved in this too. And suddenly, Gladys and her 17-year-old daughter are working together in the kitchen, planning dinner, planning what they're going to do for lunches to be able to take with them, that sort of thing. They suddenly have something to talk about other than the eternal Harvard-Princeton-Yale debate. And things calm down considerably. The daughter's still kind of obsessed with it, but they can at least talk about it rationally. And one day, over the cabbage chopping block, Gladys is able to make a little bit of a breakthrough. And the daughter says, well, I see what you're trying to tell me. She doesn't give up on her dream, but she starts to realize just a little bit that her life is not going to be over just because she didn't get accepted at one of the big three. The son is still immured in his room listening to ear-splitting music, but Gladys is able to relax just a little bit about him. And her 12-year-old wanders into the kitchen a few times to see what all the chopping and talking is about. And she's able to have a little bit more of a connection with her too. And as they're working in the kitchen, she begins to get a little more sympathy for Ken. And I'm not going to say that everything starts just going her way, but because there has been this subtle little shift in just a few things in her life, she's starting to feel more in control about her life as a whole. Plus, now she cannot do the kind of snacking from the vending machine or the M&M bowl at work. She cannot do that because none of that food is allowed on her new restricted diet. And so guess what? Because she is not doing this mindless snacking, she does start to lose a little weight. She loses five pounds in the first month, which is a nice, safe rate of weight loss. And she is eating a lot better because she's cut out the aforementioned junk food. And so, of course, she is feeling better. Of course, not because wheat, dairy, corn, and soy are poisonous to her, but because she is eating less junk. And she does take the Ambien some, so she's getting a better night's sleep. One night, she and Ken do have a nice heart-to-heart talk. She still does not feel that she should have to go to work full-time, but they at least agree that they're going to go see a marriage counselor and try to work out their issues with the help of a professional, an actual legally uh, credentialed marriage counselor. And so that's a tremendous relief to her. So let's stop here. This has been, say a month or so after her first appointment with this wellness counselor. What has caused this enormous set of changes? And they are enormous if you look at them. 
their enormous Gladys's viewpoint. And of course, she's going to now tell somebody else, you know, I went in to see this woman and I feel so much better and things have improved at home so much. It has nothing to do with the actual list of forbidden foods that that woman handed her. And oh, by the way, the blood test came back and it was, again, one of those typical diets. I'm going to get into this in more detail when I talk about the food sensitivity tests. But basically, she's put on the same kind of thing that almost everybody is put on who goes in to see one of these people. The big four, plus a few other items that Gladys tends to eat a lot. And of course, she's been told no sugar, so that's helping enormously. But it has nothing to do, and here I want to be sure I'm being very clear, the improvement in Gladys's life, that she feels better, that things are going better in her family relationships, that she's getting up in the morning feeling vigorous and alive, and that she's finally able to button her jeans. Those things have nothing to do with that restrictive diet that she was given as such. Instead, it's because the the improvement in her life has taken place because, number one, somebody really listened to her. Number two, somebody promised her an improvement. Number three, she did start eating better because she started paying much closer attention to what she's putting into her mouth, and that cannot but help. And because she has felt more in charge of that part of her life, it has given her confidence in dealing with the other parts of her life that are much more difficult. At the end of the day, the diet has nothing directly to do with the improvement in her life. That is simply the pretext. But she thinks it is the diet. Because, as I said earlier, human beings are very poor at determining causation. So Gladys goes forward into her life. At some point, she's going to get sick of this diet. At some point, other issues are going to bubble up. And I don't know what's going to happen to her. But I hope this little snapshot of her life and how seeing the wellness counselor change things but they're all changes she could have done on her own, will help you do a little bit more analysis, perhaps, of what you may think is good advice that you're being told by some kind of alternative medicine practitioner. I'm going to be delving into a number of these diets in future podcast episodes. But for now, I'll say goodbye, and we'll bid Gladys a fond farewell, and best wishes in her future life. Come back next week, but in the meantime, thanks for stopping by and listening.